Okay, today is August the 23rd, 2011, and we will prepare ourselves for the study of God's Word in our usual manner, having a few moments of silent prayer, the option of rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this place, this time, all the things that You've brought together in order for us to grow in grace and knowledge. We thank You that we don't have to be smart, we don't have to be intelligent. All we have to have is positive volition for us to exploit the deep realms of Your Word. And we thank You that it depends upon Your system of grace, of perception, and not upon us, not our education. As in everything else in your plan, it all depends upon your grace. And we have found that your grace is always sufficient. We pray that you will help us to focus this evening and concentrate. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know if I told you this last time. I'm not sure. I didn't mark it down. But it seems like nearly every day there's another sign another example of how we are slipping further and further into a degeneracy, getting further and further away from standing firm for the faith. The latest casualty, if you can call it that, is Campus Crusade for Christ. It's one of the nation's most prominent Christian ministries, and it has decided to take Christ out of its name, a move that has generated cries of political correctness from within the evangelical community. Campus Crusade for Christ International announced this week that it will change the name of its U.S. operations to Crew in early 2012. Uh, We felt like our name was getting in the way of accomplishing our mission, said Steve Sellers, the vice president for Campus Crusade, noting that the ministry will still be committed to proclaiming Christ around the world. Uh, Sellers said researchers found that 9% of Christians and 20% of non-Christians were alienated by the name Campus Crusade for Christ. Well, let's be careful that we don't offend anyone. If we have to take Christ out of our name... We have to say this is country church instead of country Bible church because someone is offended. Well, it ain't going to happen, at least not while I'm here. Uh, Okay, we are going to begin this evening where we left off last time. Uh, There are hard copy printouts of the PowerPoint that we've been going over the last uh, two sessions. Uh, Craig, if you don't mind getting getting those, anybody raises their hand that wants one can receive one of those. I think they're also still in the back. We do have some people here that do not have computers. I don't know if we have people or a person. I know of at least one person. And I'm on my best behavior. I'm not going to call anybody a dinosaur. (laughs) Well, I just thought I'd let people know how much I'm I'm trying, how hard I'm trying. Okay, I've got a new laser pointer. That one, I think, went to laser point heaven. I hope that's where it went. Okay, here it is on the board. Uh, It looks a little daunting at first glance. I've heard that we sent this to uh, a few people, and when they saw it, it didn't make much sense to them. I said, well, (laughs) we spent two hours on it already. I'm going to go over it one more time. 
it's, if you don't have the teaching to go with it, it is a bit uh, daunting. So tonight, do you all remember what your assignment was? Right. And even Sunday I said, write down questions if you have any questions. So this is your time to ask questions. And if you don't ask questions, we're going to press on and there won't be another time for questions. Yes? Oh, wait a minute. I, I'm supposed to do this. Craig, will you mind? Uh, whoever. We have this microphone. We went to the trouble to get it. People on the Internet, uh, one of their main complaints is they can't hear the questions. So we're going to try to remedy that. Okay. Well, first of all, this is a wonderful printout here. Thank you. But the, um, I'm not seeing the abomination of desolation is it supposed to be on here or accidentally left out? There's a lot of things that aren't on here. I mean, tons of things are not on here. Well. I mean, you can see it's pretty crowded already. Yeah. But uh, uh, the midpoint of the tribulation is what you're talking about right. when Antichrist goes in. It doesn't show uh, the two witnesses. It has, says nothing about the 144,000 right. uh, witnesses. It doesn't say anything about when Antichrist is going to have a, have a fatal wound. It doesn't show anything about the Armageddon campaign. I mean, I could go on and on. There's a lot of things. You can only get so much on one, um, on one screen. This is pretty crowded already. Uh, I, I guess if we had a big enough screen and uh, like maybe from wall to wall, we could get a lot more of those in there. But what this is really doing is going along with where we are in Scripture, Second Thessalonians chapter 2 mainly, in the chronological order of how things are going to unfold. And it's critical that at least the points that are given here that you're able to connect the dots because if you don't, next thing you do, you, 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 you may be influenced by uh, maybe an amillennialist or post-millennialist, or maybe someone that believes in the uh, pre, uh, the mid-trib rapture that we have to go through uh, at least half of the tribulation or maybe even more than that. Uh, this issue of the rapture is a very controversial uh, doctrine, even in the sense of people not even believing that there's going to be a rapture to begin with. Some people try to just spiritualize this away. Uh, they try to use allegory and not make it uh, a reality that's really going to happen. And then some people put it after Christ uh, returns. Uh, and some people just completely ignore it altogether. And it is going to be something that is going to be uh, earth-shaking. I mean, there's, there's nothing that has happened on the, on the um, level of magnificence and, and grandeur and um, shocking since Noah's flood. At least that's my opinion. The whole world is going to be, uh, is going to be influenced by this. They're going to, uh, everything is going to change. And when you, you have some people that, that try to put God in a box. This coming Sunday, we're going to be studying something that is similar to this in the sense that uh, people think that God is limited in what he can do. We're going to be studying about the sun and the moon standing still because a man by the name of Joshua asked God about uh, to do this. And then we're, now we're talking about Jesus Christ returning and millions, hundreds of millions of people that are going to leave planet Earth in an instant so fast that nobody's even going to be able to see it. Can you imagine what that would do? What, what about the Christians that are operating uh, machinery? Christians that are flying airplanes. Christians that are uh, driving cars. Uh, what if you're a, a surgeon and you're a believer and you're in the middle of a, in a operation? You're uh, elbow deep in somebody's chest and you're out of there. I mean, 
you could just go on and on of how many things are going to happen. Everybody's going to know about it. And the fear factor is going to be off the charts. People are going to be more disturbed than they ever have been before. And that is the great opening for the reception of Antichrist. Just like we... Did you see the news today? Uh, they say that the... They're calling them rebels. have taken over Libya. Muammar Gaddafi has... Uh, disappeared and the thing about this, these uprisings like this it sets the stage it always sets the stage for a dictator someone to come into power and many if not most times it's worse than it was before so and I'm, I'm making that analogy to the rapture, because when the world is in total chaos and frightened, like everyone, like they have never been before, it's going to be on the lips of everyone. This is going to be, it's not just something like 9 11. Everybody remembers 9 11, but this is going to make 9 11 worldwide. Think what that would be like. So, um, I don't have uh, everything that I would like to have on here, but I'm just limited for space. Are all of you confident that you could take this now and show it to someone? This is where I want you to be able to do. So this is what we are learning in Bible class. Would you like me to explain it to you? And that you would be able to take it from uh, the cross. The, the cross is barely in this one. I made it bigger. Here's half of the cross right here. The cross on all the way over to the new earth. Thank you, Craig. Are you able to do that? If you're not, it means you have a problem. And if you have a problem, if you have any questions, this is the time to ask. If you don't ask, I'm moving on. Is there any more questions? Yes, Barbara. Pardon? What? Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Did you turn it on? Okay. Uh. <laughs> um, when Barbara, there you go. When the elect are told to flee uh -huh. in Jerusalem, two questions. Is that right after the desolation, uh, say mid, or is it later on? No, it's at that point, right after the abomination of desolation and the midpoint of the tribulation. The Jews are admonished to, to not even go home, to flee. Because this is when Antichrist is going to take over the reins himself. Prior to that time, you have Babylon, which is the false worldwide religion which appears. There's different ideas on this, but I think the Catholic Church is up to their eyeballs in this. Thank you, sir. So it's just the Jewish. The well, it's, the Jews are, are number one on the target of Antichrist. He's got three and a half years left, and this is his time of desperation. Now, I've said this before. I hope you all remember this. Why he is so intent on annihilating the Jews is because of the unconditional covenants, four unconditional covenants that he made to the Jews that have not come to pass. They are on schedule to be fulfilled in the millennium. And if there are no Jews to receive those promises, God cannot fulfill His promises. Therefore, God is a liar and He is dethroned and Satan takes over. Now, that's in Satan's mind. Now, I know that's something that will never happen. And Satan is an ultimate genius. He should know this. But that's why specifically the Jews are to take out. And they are to... Whether we know that from uh, where Jesus Christ is going to return in Basra, which is outside of uh, the Petra in Edom in that area, they're going to go down to that area. There's a place already that God designed when He, uh, when he restored the earth so that uh, no one's going to be able to get them. So and so that's for the Jews. They are to leave and they're not to come back because Satan is intent on destroying the Jews. That's his last-ditch effort to win the angelic conflict. And that's why uh, up to that time, 
He's the, first of all, the Jews are going to, at the beginning of the tribulation, right here. The Jews are going to have that seven-year covenant. And so they think they have seven years at least to where they can uh, sacrifice and, and get back in to observing the Mosaic law to the fullest. And, of course, halfway he's going to betray them. But the first three and a half years, these three and a half years, the rest of the world is under the domination of a one-world religion. But Israel is going to be exempt from that because of this treaty that Antichrist makes with Israel. And during the three and a half years, Antichrist is using this Babylon the Great. This is in Revelation chapter 7 where it's describing the whore that rides the beast. The woman is the whore that rides the beast. And the cup of abomination and all of the... Um, it describes what appears to be the Catholic Church. And there's already a huge ecumenical movement underway uh, to bring all religions under one roof, so to speak. And so... That is going to end at the midpoint. He can't afford to have that to go any longer. All that religion is going to be destroyed, and he's going to demand that he be worshipped now. There's a big change that takes place at that point. And after that, the Jews know that it's his time of desperation. And their only hope is for God to preserve them, and he's going to preserve them. In fact, there's going to be a battle that's going to be going on way at the end of at the, towards the end of the tribulational period, uh, there's going to be a great battle in Jerusalem. Remember, all the nations of the earth are going to gather in the valley of Megiddo, Armageddon. Then they're going to move south and they're going to have a big battle in Jerusalem. They're going to take over about half of Jerusalem. The Jews are going to hold out and then he's going to move on. Antichrist is going to move on down to Edom area where uh, Petra is. And that's when Jesus Christ returns at Basra. And it appears that he is going to take care of the Jews there. He's going to protect them. And all these armies, all nations of the earth at that point, he is going to start destroying. They're going to retreat all the way back to Jerusalem. And he is going to pursue them. And it's going, the battle is going to end at Jerusalem. Then he ascends up the Mount of Olives. And that's when it's going to split and... Uh, things are going to be different. Yeah, now, all that is not on here, but it's kind of a, 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 a detailed answer to the question you had. So is Basra already a city? Yes. Or well, I don't know if it's a city, but it's a, it's a, it, you can locate it on the map. I mean, or at least where it is. I, I should have had my map up. But I would, I would imagine that it is a city. Everything in, in, that, in the uh, Middle East all these places in the Bible are easy to find because most of them are still named either exactly the same or very close to the same. And where these cities are, that you have uh, these archaeologists going and they're digging. And the more they dig, the more it is verifying the Bible. All the locations, the time element, everything is verified by it. You said you had two questions. You asked me That's one. The other. Oh, okay. I wanted to know <laughs> no, 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 they're not the same. They're two different locations. In the tribulation, uh, people that become believers, do they have any special uh, delineation? Are they just tribulational saints and then the same as millennial saints? Well, there's I see we have Gentile and Jews, mm -hmm. so are they separated some way? Well, you're still going to have a Jew and Gentile. Mm -hmm. And there are going to be both Jew and Gentile believers. Mm -hmm. However, uh, the Jewish, they're going to, the, the Jews are going to be pushing the Mosaic Law. They're going to actually revert back to the Mosaic Law with the temple and the sacrifices and feast days and all these things that are going on. Now, if you were a Jew at that time, what would you do? If you believed in Jesus Christ, what would you do? Would you continue to sacrifice animals? No. So it would be similar as to what you have in the church age in that there's going to be both Jews and Gentiles who believe in Jesus Christ. And they're going to have eternal life. They're going to receive God's own righteousness. But they're not going to receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They're not going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Those things and a few others 
are uniquely for the church, which is not even there. So uh, <clears throat> to answer your question, there's going to be unbelieving Jews and Gentiles and there's going to be believing Jews and Gentiles. But there's not going to be anything that is that, that you can compare to the church because the church isn't there. Right, but they would just move on to Great White Throne eventually and... and well, no, the unbelievers... Receive, no, the believing ones. All right, the believing ones... What, what happened? Pass on into the okay. millennium. Yeah, right. If you're a believing Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter. When all this happens, you have to remember, everybody is going to be off planet Earth except those believers. And it's, I don't know how many is going to be. There's not going to be a huge number because most of them are going to be, the Jews are going to be judged, uh, separating the sheep from the goats, Ezekiel 20, 38 through 39. Uh, Jesus is going to judge the nations, which is the Gentiles. And this is Matthew 25, 31 through 34. They're going to be, when we say judged, I don't mean judged like over here in the great white throne. Mm-hmm. Actually, he's going to determine whether they are believers or not. And Jesus Christ is the one that can do that. Those who have rejected the gospel are going to go to torments and stay there. And while they're in torments, time keeps clicking on and believers are just going to just, whether Jew or Gentiles, just keep on living right in through, all the way into the millennium. And every, Can you imagine what all they're going to see? I mean, already, just, just think of the apostles, what they saw. They were under the Mosaic Law, and they saw Jesus Christ Himself, and he saw, uh, they saw the Son of God um, crucified, at least uh, Peter did. I don't know if they saw it directly, but they experienced that whole thing. And then within 50 days of Christ's resurrection, a whole new dispensation begins. Everything changes, and they live through that. So look at all that they've seen. And the believers that go through the tribulation, they're going to see the worst time there ever has been. And then they're going to live right on in into the best time there ever has been. Can you imagine the shock it's going to be when they're used to nothing but unspeakable horror and then Jesus Christ returns, the curse on the world of the environment is changed the ferocity of animals are going, is going to be gone. The thorns and thistles, I mean, what we're experiencing in this heat, and uh, if you have a garden, that will, people won't even be able to relate to that. And they're going to live right through it and see it all. But what about us? I mean, we're in a generation that has seen many prophecies come, to, come into uh, our lifetime and we've seen them fulfilled. The first one that comes to mind is Israel. It is heavily prophesied that God is going to gather Israel, His people, from all over the earth and bring them back to their land. Now, a lot of people are confused because they think, oh, no, that, that's only referring to uh, when He returns at the second advent. But that's not true at all. Isaiah 11, 11 proves that when they are coming back, when He's gathering all the Jews together when He returns, here at the second advent, that's the second time that they are regathered from all over the earth. There's only one other time that, le- that you, <laughs> you have for that, and that's May 14, 1948, when they were regathered and they became a nation overnight, which was also prophesied. That is in our own time, and you can turn to Ezekiel chapter 37 of Valley of Dry Bones, and it vividly describes them gathered together in unbelief. And then later on, the second time when they're going to be gathered from all over the earth is the second advent, but this time it's in belief. So we see a lot going on. And if we are in the rapture generation, wow. That's all you can say is wow. (laughs) So, again, in this tribulational period, you're going to have Jews and Gentiles just like you have here. Jews and Gentiles. And there's going to be Jew and Gentile believers here, just like there are here, after we're out of here. But this part, Christians, are not to be seen. The church, from Revelation chapter 5 and following up to Revelation 19, you don't see them. 
just not mentioned because we're not there. Now, that was a long version. Did I cover it? Would those believers uh, be treated uh, like Old Testament saints, in other words, when the, when the earth is destroyed they, it's, or at Great White Throne, is that when they receive uh, resurrection bodies? I'm not sure I understand what you're saying. You, those saint, the believers from the tribulation and the millennium uh-huh. at the end of time when the earth yeah, here. is destroyed, uh-huh. is that when they receive? The old, I mean, the uh, tribulational saints are going to receive their resurrection body at the second advent when Jesus Christ returns. And it's also my contention that Old Testament saints are going to receive their resurrection body at that same point. Millennia, but the, the people who are still living are going to live all the way through up to this point to the end of a lamb. And I can't see anything in the Bible that you can definitively point at and say that's when they get their resurrection body, but you can't deduce hardly anything else. You, human bodies cannot survive this. Oops, wrong one. This, this which is the... Uh, the destruction of the earth, uh, they're not designed for heaven. So it would, uh, common sense would say that that's when they get their resurrection bodies. But, you know, I'm not, that's what I would say. That's what I deduce. Uh, wait just a second. I got, did you still have your hand up? Okay. I'll get right back to you. Okay, I understand that Satan is behind uh, the desire for the destruction of the Jews and always has been from time immemorial. So I understand that he's behind the Antichrist. But what, in other words, the Antichrist, in essence, befriends Israel, promising to protect them, um, and then he turns on them. So I'm saying... Yes, I know Satan is behind it. That's not my issue. But what is it that irritates the Antichrist so much that he turns against them, against the Jews? Well, is it their refusal to join in his one world religion? They're going to stick to this Mosaic law and they won't join it or what? He doesn't have any cards left to play. He's always hated Jews because they're God's chosen people. Who? And who? Who? Satan does. Well, I know that. And and. and Everything that Antichrist is about is actually a human manifestation of Satan. I understand that. And he recognizes Antichrist is Satan's puppet. And he knows that this is his last card. He's got to destroy the Jews or he's had. Right. And and, and, let me say this. Satan Satan and Antichrist both, uh, Antichrist is going to be uh, Satan's man on earth. I understand Satan that. doesn't only hate the Jews, he hates Christians also. And he doesn't only hate Christians, he hates man. He, he hates mankind. I mean, we're worms as far as Satan is concerned. Right. But he especially hates Christians because Christians, he knows from Scripture that we're going to be greater than he is someday right. because we're in Christ and he just gnashes his teeth. I mean, we're nothing compared to Satan as we are today. Right. I, that's the I, I can answer your question. Well, I guess my question hinges on the fact that Satan works in and through certain people, uh, does his thing. He's going to indwell the Antichrist. Right. I, he's demon-possessed by Satan himself, right? Yes, yes. Okay, I understand that. But my question has to do with the surface level, at the human level, because there must be something at the human level that the world might see, even though it's satanically inspired and they don't even recognize it. Something must happen that causes him to turn against the Jews. The Jews do something or refuse to follow his his uh, newfound... Let me just finish it by answering you this way. Yeah. Uh, Satan is the father of lies. He is the great deceiver. And Antichrist is going to have all the attributes that Satan has. And so anyone that um, is God's chosen people Anyone who stands for truth, anyone who gets in the way of Satan, he despises, and it's all for uh, self-aggrandizement. It's all for furthering his cause, and uh, that's why he's going to turn on because it's his nature. 
they must refuse to worship him then when he starts demanding it. There must be that element because... Uh, They're not going to... You don't understand. They don't have to refuse to do anything. What they need to do is get out of Dodge because he is after them. He's not after them because they refuse to do anything. He's after them to annihilate them. What, what's happened to the Jews all these years? What's this? Where they are right now even. They're surrounded by hundreds of millions of Muslims that want to do what? Annihilate them. They're... Satan surrogates even now. Okay, uh, you, you, you had a you had a question. Yeah, she's she's he's right here. Oh yes. Uh, in the millennium, so you have human bodies going in with the oath of nature into the millennium. They're going to be procreating. There'll be a lot of people. There'll probably be a lot of evangelism. Wouldn't wouldn't but wouldn't you say for them, for the babies, as they grow up, they'd have to get the gospel? Well, think of it this way. First of all, they're going to have believing parents, at least the first batch is. And with perfect environment, there's not going to be the disease. There's not going to be the viruses. There's, there's not going to be uh, so many of the things that, uh, that happen today that uh, will destroy a population or at least minimize it. There's going to be a population explosion uh, similar to what happened after uh, Noah's Ark landed. You had Shem, Ham, and Japheth. You had uh, three men and their wives. And I don't know how long it was, but it wasn't that long. You had scabs of people running around. It's going to be the same thing here. So uh, they're definitely going to... And remember this too. Satan is tossed off planet Earth. They don't have that deception. And... They have everything going for them, and, and yet they're still going to be, by the hundreds of millions, still reject Jesus Christ, even though He is ruling the earth in perfect justice, and they're still going to reject Him. They're going to hate uh, having to pay tribute to the Jews, many of them. As well, yeah, there's, there's still going to be anti-Semitism, even though you start it with nothing but believers. Isn't that amazing? Have you ever thought of that? What we, what we see that's going to take place in the millennium when you have these uh, people that are going to reject Jesus Christ and God's Word is a demonstration of the evilness of our old sin nature. They're not in, these are people that are, don't have a memory of anti-Semitism. Maybe they'll hear stories or something, but Satan is not distracting them. There's not going to be any cults when the millennium begins. There's going to be nothing but believers who understand the truth. And I don't know how long it's going to take when they have babies and then they grow up. It's not going to be that long before they're going to start rejecting it. And nobody's going to die, right? Because they'll all be well, dead. nobody's going to... Uh, there are going to be people who die. One way they die is someone commits murder or rape or something. Jesus Christ is in charge, so what do you think is going to happen? There's not going to be 10 years of appeals and there's not going to be a sissified needle either. They're going to be, uh, there's going to be capital punishment. And, but you're, it appears that you're not going to die from disease. But I don't know. I think that if you're in a car wreck and you go off a cliff, I would assume, if, like you see in the movies, you know, a car <laughs> goes down a mountain, does about 15 flips and blows up. If you're in a, I would assume that you would die then. But there's not going to be death of old age are... Uh, no, there's not going to be any wars. Jesus Christ is in control. There's not going to be any wars and there's not going to be any um, of the sickness that we normally have. So it, it's going to be unbelievable different than what we are used to. <laughs> we are going to space travel if Jesus, if Je when Jesus Christ comes. Okay, there's going to be perfect justice mm -hmm. through Jesus Christ. Uh, well, we know that Christians can murder and still go to heaven. Yes. What happens when Jesus judges someone do, and they are, will believers still murder? And Well, I would assume that, see here, one reason that we have the dispensations is God is showing us his 
perfect righteousness and justice and love under every different set of circumstances. Before the law, with the law, then you have this unique age that we're in, that uh, the church age, this is the special unique time when we have more spiritual assets and blessings than anyone else. And then that ends, the Jewish age ends, the age of the law. And then you have the, uh, which is the tribulation, which is the worst time. And then you have the perfect environment with Jesus Christ ruling the world. The Bible describes it as ruling with a rod of iron. He's not going to put up with nonsense. It's going to be true justice. And throughout it all, there are some constants. One constant, instead of me telling you all, I'll ask you all, who knows what the one constant is? Something never changes through every dispensation. Even though the circumstances and God is interacting with man differently in each dispensation, what is at least one constant that never changes? Right. I, I hear different words. It's the gospel. Faith alone in Christ alone. It was that way for Adam and Eve all the way to the last person of the millennium. It's the, the salvation is the same. It's by grace, through faith, faith alone in Christ alone. That, that's the same throughout. And another thing that's the same throughout. See if y'all get it. I was just talking about it. The old sin nature. The old sin nature is the same throughout. From the, and it started what? With Adam and Eve, and it goes all the way to the last person. And this is what God is describing, because there's some people that say, oh, you know, if we just had a better environment, if we could just get rid of Satan, if we just get rid of all these unbelievers, you'll get rid of all these Muslims and all these cults. If we just had a different environment, then man would be worthy. And God is saying, no, you're no good. No, in every set of circumstances, you're still evil. You're evil. It says you're beyond description evil and hard-hearted. And He's showing His grace and His justice and His mercy and His righteousness through all of it. And that's why the millennium is so important is because here you have everything going. There can't be any excuses. And yet we do know that there's going to be uh, hundreds of million, million, hundreds of millions of people that are going to uh, reject Jesus Christ. They're going to hate Him. And it is true, you mentioned that, uh, I, I, I told you, in fact, I'm going to show you another slide in a moment about the time of the Gentiles, that right now, and ever since, actually ever since uh, Nebuchadnezzar overthrew the Jews, and why, why, by the way, why did that happen? Why did God allow Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan, God, a pagan king, to overthrow the Jews and take them captive for 70 years? Because of their disobedience, right? Their hard-heartedness. And he took care of Nebuchadnezzar, didn't he? He took care of him personally and nationally. Nebuchadnezzar got attitude adjustment, didn't he? He wanted to box with God and figured out. He finally found out that, what was it, seven years eating with the cows? And he looked up and he became a believer. Okay, any other? Yes, got one over here, Craig. We don't do this all the time, so this is your chance. Don't come up here and ask me a question after, afterwards. <laughs> During our study on uh, Second Thessalonians, did anyone ever allege that uh, Matthew or Luke 17 chapter I mean Luke Luke 17 verse 37 was referencing uh, the uh, uh, mid tribula or mid mid tribulation or the beginning referencing that or no the, after the rapture because uh, when believers are die or not die uh, go to heaven uh -huh. there's going to be crack wrecks but uh, and unbelievers going to die too, resulting of the wrecks. Yeah. Any of, uh -huh. any of people alleged that that would uh, take place? Well, that is going to take place. But what we have in Luke seventeen thirty seven is a companion to uh, Matthew chapter twenty five. I don't remember exact verse. It's around thirty something. Uh, it's given a, a, a parallel as to Christ explaining what is going to happen when he says, 
Let me get this up so you can see it. What we're talking about is what's going to take place right here. When Christ returns in Matthew 25 and Luke 17, He is describing what's taking place. See, you can't go to just... The Bible isn't chronological where you can... Uh, are, are all in one place where you can get all the information. You have to go to Luke 17:37. You have to go to Matthew chapter 25. You have to go to Ezekiel 20 and Matthew 25 to get the, what's going on right here. And what both of those areas are saying is that there's going to be a departure. There are going to be people who are going to be standing there and they're going to look around. The person that was next to them are gone. And the confusion is because a similar type thing is going to happen over here at the rapture. At the rapture, there's going to be people who, in a blink of an eye, they're gone. That's one reason, by the way, I contend that no one is going to see Jesus Christ return and believers rising up to see Him. Because it's going to happen so fast, the blinking of an eye, it's going to happen and they're going to maybe have clothes left behind or that type of thing, but they're not going to see it because it's too fast. The second advent is just the opposite. It says everybody's going to see that. However, what, so what we have here in Luke 17, one reason it's so important is because it distinguishes between this departure and at the second advent and the departure at the rapture. Because all unbelievers are going to be taken down to torments, to Sheol or Hades. As this is known as the baptism of fire in Matthew chapter 3. It's talks about the baptism of fire. And Luke 17 and verse 30, was it 37, I believe? It, the, the, the disciples asked him, where are they taken? Where are they going to be gone? And I'm so glad they asked that question because it eliminates all conjecture. And Christ answers and says, where the body is or where the corpse is, that's where the vultures are going to be. Now, the, 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 the corpse, a body, vultures have absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with the rapture because there's no bodies left on earth. Our bodies are gone. And the vultures are prophesied to eat all of the uh, dead corpses that are going to be left when their soul goes down here to hell. Yes. But their, uh, people are going to allege, had alleged, I'm sure, that the unbelievers that that's going to die from the result from the believers going up in the rapture, uh-huh. Uh-huh. that there's going to be a lot of uh, vultures chewing on those bodies too. Well, there may be, uh, but the, the, what they're, you're talking about over here, there, there may be, there's going to be, I don't know, probably un, uh, more deaths and more carnage than, uh, I don't know how, how much there's going to be. But this is going to be nothing. This is going to be a pittance compared to what's happening here. And what you have here is heavily uh, prophesied, and it always connects it with Christ's second coming. In fact, uh, I, I have a book, uh, 25 Signs uh, by Noah Hutchison, 25 Signs of, uh, I can't remember, of the Messianic uh, Christ returning, whatever. Anyway, it says that Israel now has more vultures than they've ever had before. In that area, it's just... They are prolific. They even have problems in their uh, in their flight plans and where they fly because there's so many vultures. I don't know. That might just be a coincidence, but I think <laughs> they're getting ready for the feast. But I understand what you're saying. There are there may be some. Um, I don't know if the here's here's another thing. At the rapture, when the unbelievers, whatever unbelievers are going to be uh, killed because of the chaos it's going to uh, have, you're going to have uh, people here, you know, the normal ambulances and coroners and, and disposal of bodies, that, it's still going to be able to handle it because it, it would be hard maybe, just like there was in Katrina or, or uh, the tsunami and all, but they'll be able to handle it. Over here, the Bible says it's going to take them, uh, how, how long is it, years to bury the dead? It's going to be uh, catastrophic. That You can't even compare it. And, and there's no way that you can take that Luke 
1737 verse where when they ask, where are they going to... Where are they going? These that are leaving, where are they going? And he, Christ is comparing them. He's saying, well, where the, where the body is, their body is going to be strewn all over the earth. We're talking about maybe billions of people. And the vultures. You're going to find vultures. None of that has anything to do with this over here. Yes. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Uh, that passage uh, in Luke 17 going all the way back to 26, that whole thing's talking about the second advent. No. And 26 is talking about the days of Noah. I like what you have to say about that. Well, see, think of this for a moment. Luke 17, Matthew 25. These are Gospels. Uh, there was just a hint of the church by that time. Hardly anything is said about the church. And they wouldn't even, if this had to do with the rapture, these people would have no frame of reference. They would have no idea what, what you were talking about. But if you had the Old Testament and you were steeped in it, you would understand, oh, okay, there's going to be a departure where the vultures are going to come in and there's going to be uh, masses of dead bodies everywhere. And they would understand that to be Christ's second coming and not the rapture. They knew nothing about the rapture. They didn't even know there was going to be a church age. So it wouldn't make sense that you'd have this detailed information about the church uh, at the rapture when they didn't even know what the church was at that time. Okay? Okay. What? Uh, okay. Rachel? Uh-huh. Um, Go ahead. It won't hurt. Departures, the, the first departure... Christians depart. The second departure, unbelievers depart. Right. So, why? Why? I don't understand why. How can we confuse that? Well, because the ones that there are not two departures. I mean, the, the first one is believers depart. The second one, believers stay here. We right. But there are two departures. It's just different people are are departing. Right. There are two departures. Here you have believers departing. Here you have unbelievers departing. Of course, they're going different places. They're going different right. directions. Exactly. And, but th since there is departures, there, there's two departures, and they are somewhat similar when, when you're talking about the raptures. It's going to be a, sim it's a departure where some people are going to be left and some are, going, are, are, going, are leaving. And so just based on that amount of information, some people think, oh, well, this must be the rapture. I'm saying, no, all you've got to do is just look at the context of it and, and, and you can see they're leaving, but they're not going to meet Christ. Right, exactly. Okay. Thank you, Craig, for being a good mic man. There's another one over here. I think, the, I think the, uh, quite possibly the, the thing that will differentiate is the fact that, one, you've got a body, and the other one you don't. Well, that's what I'm saying. When Christ said where, where you find the body, that's where the vulture will be. Well, there's not going to be any bodies here. Zero bodies. And when we get a resurrection body, what in the world would that have to do with a vulture anyway? I mean, it's, it's completely far-fetched. I didn't know we were going to ask the whole time questions. <laughs> I thought we were going to have five minutes of questions. Once, that's always the case. Once the ball gets rolling, everybody's got questions. And that's fine. Yes. Also, a lot of these verses in Luke 17 is talking about the kingdom, which, you know, is, he's starting the kingdom there, whereas the rapture doesn't start the kingdom. It's all talking about the kingdom. Let me show you. Are we, do we have any more questions? I mean, I, <laughs> I'm not trying to stymie, but I would like to get a little bit of teaching in. I guess it's teaching by answering questions, maybe. Uh, no more questions. Okay. Let me show you something. That will help, maybe. I was wanting to get to this one anyway. How many of you have heard the term, the time of the Gentiles? I've heard that before. Well, it must be this one. Okay. I'm going to show you a PowerPoint that shows you something about the time of the Gentiles. 
Oh, I have it upside down. There it is. Okay. This is what I was talking about a while ago. You have... Now, this is all different colors, so don't try to relate the colors. I did this so long ago, I just was picking colors. Um, in 586 B.C., you have the Babylonian captivity. This was the end of David's ruling line right there. Time goes on. This is Daniel chapter 2, verse 34 through 35. You go all the way to here. Pentecost uh, here. Um, this is when this is the church age that I have all in green here. Uh, Seventy years later, you have the what's known as the diaspora or the diaspora when Titus and his legions came in and the Jews suffered the fifth cycle of discipline and were dispersed throughout the earth. Now, when, if anybody tries to tell you that there is no prophecy for the church during the church age, or let me put it this way. I said that wrong. If anyone tries to tell you there is no prophecy during the church age that is fulfilled, that is not true. There is no prophecy for the church during the church age. But there are a lot of prophecies that have been fulfilled and are being fulfilled in our lifetime. Now, if anyone wants to take issue with that, all you have to do is point to Israel being dispersed in 70 A.D. That's nearly 40 years into the church age, and it is heavily prophesied in the Old Testament. That is prophecy being fulfilled in the church age. It's not the church. There's not prophecy for the church. Old Testament, uh, Old Testament uh, prophets didn't even know about the church. But there is prophecy that's been fulfilled, and this is one of them, 70 A.D. Now, we go along here. This is the church age in green here, up to here, and the rapture takes place. The tribulation continues. I have here this time of the Jews here in purple. Here's the tribulation here. And it's not until the second advent that the time of the Gentiles ends. Not until Jesus Christ returns. Now all you have to do is look at, at, at history and it bears out how the Jews have been persecuted from here all the way to here, haven't they? They have been considered the mongrels of humanity, even though they are the smartest people in the world. They have more rewards. They are geniuses. They excel in everything they do. And yet, for the most part, they have been despised and kicked around by Gentiles for all these centuries. The only one that is able to change that is Jesus Christ. And when we get to this point, and Jesus Christ starts his millennial reign, remember that other PowerPoint I had? It shows now the Jews come first. The Jews are into, on top. They, just think, they are Jews. The king of the universe that is ruling planet earth is what? A Jew. The Jews are God's what? Chosen people. It's going to be all the other way then. It's not that God is going to be unfair. But he is going to require these other nations to bring tribute to Jerusalem, and it's been just the other opposite all these other all this time. It's been the Jews who had to bring tribute and be the underdogs everywhere else they went. It's going to change when Jesus Christ returns. When this happens, now I only have I only have not that much time left, but I want to show you this. This might help you. This is the different things. This I'm comparing the rapture with the second advent, and I'm showing you how. It's essentially the opposite. Everything is different. Number one, we meet the believers will meet Christ in the air. At the second advent, Christ is going to touch planet Earth. Jesus Christ is actually coming two more times to planet Earth. He only touches one time, the second advent. The rapture, he does not touch planet Earth. 
In fact, you know, a lot of... I've been reading some good things. In fact, I'm going to be showing you one of these days some of the timelines and good, tremendous artwork of Clarence Larkin that demonstrates... When he talks about the rapture, he calls it the first phase of the, of the second uh, of Christ's second coming, and I'm I'm okay with that because Christ is coming again in two phases. Phase one, rapture, he'll gather us home. Phase two, he's coming back second advent to take care of business. All right, in the rapture, believers are taken. Second advent, this is what we've been talking about: unbelievers taken. The bride is claimed here. Uh, this is when, right now we're the body of Christ, but we, we are going to be known as the bride of Christ and there will be a wedding supper. We looked at that already. In the second advent, the bride returns with Christ. We, we, he claims us here. We are going to go back to heaven with Him and then we're going to return with Christ. I just didn't have time to put all the scriptures here, but um, I don't have time to do it either way. But number four, tribulation begins, second advent, the millennium begins. The rapture is imminent, the second advent is preceded by signs. Once that clock starts ticking, you can... If you knew what the Bible has to say, you can start counting the days because the Bible gives the time frame in days, in months, and in times. It refers to a time, times, and a half time. That's three and a half years. Uh, the rapture brings comfort. The second advent brings judgment. The rapture is the program for the church. The second advent... And the tribulation is the program for Israel. That's why I had on that other PowerPoint where I have tribulation. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble, not the church's trouble. We're believers. We're the bride. Christ is not going to drag us through that. Number eight, am I in y'all's way? The rapture is a mystery. We don't even know when it's going to take place. And it was a mystery until Paul started revealing it in the first century church. The second advent is known in both the Old Testament and New Testament. Both were teaching it. Number nine, Christians are judged at the judgment seat of Christ Number nine here, Jews and uh, Gentiles and Jews are judged. You remember what, what that's talking about? It's not talking about the great white throne. It's talking about when Christ returns, He's going to sort it all out. And that's when some, they're going to have the baptism of fire. Some are going to leave. And they're not going to like where they go. Number ten, creation is unchanged during the rapture. Over here, creation is completely changed. The curse on earth. When God cursed man, He cursed the earth as well. Number 11, Israel's covenant is still unfulfilled when Christ returns here. Number 11 over here, Israel's covenants, the four unconditional covenants made to Israel are fulfilled. That's the Davidic, the Palestinian, and the New Covenant. And what's the other one? Abrahamic. Abrahamic covenant, Davidic covenant, Palestinian covenant, and the new covenant will be fulfilled. Number 12, evil is not judged at the rapture. Here, evil is going to be judged. 13, the day before the day of the wrath is the rapture after the day of the wrath. Now, after the day of the wrath means that the second advent the wrath has already come. The day of the Lord had already started. Now, let's see how astute you are. It's late in the hour. Oh, I'm past eight. Well, uh, still, I want to ask you this question. <laughs> it's after the day of wrath. Second advent, how long has the day of wrath been going on? Seven. 
Remember, the Antichrist is revealed at the beginning of the tribulation. Uh, here you have, this is the raptures for believers only. The second advent affects all men. The Lord is at hand at the rapture. The kingdom is at hand second advent. Believers only see Christ at the rapture. Everyone sees Christ second advent. Now, what that probably did is just create more questions. <laughs> so, this was kind of an unusual Bible class. I don't remember the last time when we had nothing but just questions and just a little bit of teaching at the end. But I think this is edifying to everyone because we have to think specifically. We have to get the whole picture in our head if we're able to say, hey, look what I learned. They say, okay, what is it? Are you able to, to say this without even looking at it? When you're able to put the pieces and connect the dots and talk to someone about this, where even if they are uninitiated and they don't know what you're talking about, they don't know what dispensation is, still it shows the order and the precision of God in all things. I'm sorry I ran a little bit late, but we'll continue next time. I don't know if we're going to open with questions again or not. <laughs> we'll see. Father, thank you for this time and for your mighty plan and that you're in control of all things. We are just going along for the ride and what a ride. With all these great, magnificent things in your plan, we so easily can fall apart and complain over the most simple and ridiculous things. We need to think bigger. We need to remember that you, in your grace, have included us in this whole plan. And we will see it unfold. And we're so thankful that you have this grace extended to us and that we can have a personal sense of eternal destiny and even beyond this. We thank you for it all and pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.